Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as He makes all things new. We are excited to pursue His heart for the greatest city on earth in the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. All right, here we are with our Spirit and Justice series. Um, I, I like would say that this is feels like a life message if there's you know if you, if there is such a thing, but um, meaning what God has kind of given me after all my experience in ministry for the past about 15 years or so, um, things that are dear to my heart and I believe is something that's missing in the body, and I believe this is God beginning to form us as a people very deliberately and very um, and, and, and very gently in the midst of our lives we live in. Um, spirit and justice may be a crude division of denominations or it may be a crude division of theology, but what I mean by spirit and justice is those who may be of the charismatic ilk, who are used to praying for the sick, casting out demons, um, prophesying, those sort of things that you've seen us do here um, at different occasions, believing that God is going to move. Of course, I'm not a secessionist. I believe that God has is still moving today, that the Holy Spirit is alive and active, and a part of it is God using every single tool that he has in his toolbox, that why would a God who has created so much decide to take off things and be exclusively one or another? My God is looking toward abundance and looking toward welcoming us all into his kingdom. And the other side is justice. Justice is a practical and pragmatic pursuit of rightness upon the earth, whether you are feeding the sick or whether you are doing legislation to create systems that are less racist or whether you are doing anything of that matter that you're, you're, you want, as James Cone would say, you will want not only to save men's souls but to save their bodies while they are here. That they're both very important and we can't take one or the other. And that even in our political season, these beliefs and the way that God moves has caused one to stand on one side or the other. Black lives may matter, but, but you know, all lives do matter, which has come from a lot of those who are part of the charismatic world, which is interesting. Those who are liberal theolo- theologically may be more conservative politically. And those who are may, may be um, liberal politically or more conservative the- theologically not seeing that God has done this massive work upon us. So this series is about showing how Jesus is both. Can you say with me? Both of them. B-O-F-U-M. Both of them. That's who Jesus is. He's not one, he's not the other, he's both. And so we're going to go through scripture because scripture is important and see all that we ascribe to or all that we um, desire to be is found in the ministry of Jesus. If it's not found in the ministry of Jesus, I don't want to be it. I don't want to do it when it comes to ministry. But I want to show you how he was moving in a supernatural way to break down systems of society and of his environment. Very deliberate. And so we, we can go back, hindsight is 2020, and look what he was doing and see all these little ways 
that he was beginning to challenge the authority of the time, not living under it. And hopefully it will begin to open our eyes to the way that we live, that hopefully it doesn't take another black man to get shot and die, which is still happening. But for some reason, we're not as interested in it now because it's not splashed across the uh, national media. But it's still happening to this day. How can we continue to pursue justice in our small way in the context that God has given us? I used to be one that believed I can only pursue justice if I'm on the south side, if I'm on the west side. That's exactly where the fight is. But I know that many of you make decisions day to day that affect more black people than live on the west side and the south side that we are making these decisions each and every day in our lives. What are the implications for them? And how did Jesus show us the way to continue to love in the midst of it? So I'm very excited, if you can't tell, about this Spirit and Justice series. I mean, I made a little promo, you know what I'm saying? We got some graphics. We take, we're just going different levels, and it's just going to get better and better. It, it's okay for us to continue to, to grow in this small way and continue to go forward. Um, and I think it allows us to continue to be excellence and don't despise the day of small beginnings that God has given us. Don't despise any of it, but be thankful for it and know that he's taken us somewhere. So we're going to start in Mark 4 and 35. If you would like to turn there, I'll begin to set up some of the context for Mark. Um, that in this portion of scripture, Mark 4, Mark, of course, is a book from uh, one of the disciples, one that much of scripture in the New Testament is based upon. Um, Mark, of course, is the shortest one, but for many believe he was a template for the rest. So many of the stories that appear in Mark are also going to be in other of the synoptic gospels. And he was one who got right to the meat of what's going on. As I like to say, Jesus was already walking around a full grown man in Mark 1. Most of the other ones, he starts off as a baby, and you're like telling the whole story. He's like kicking in doors, casting out demons in Mark 1. So you're like, oh, I know where this one is going. But I love how their personalities are contained in each one. So we see Mark 4. Jesus is teaching the parable of the seed and the sower. He's standing in a boat and teaching those who are on the shore at the Sea of Galilee, which is not really a sea at all. It's more of a lake. And little did I know that the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret or the Lake of Tiberias, whatever you want to call it, is the lowest elevation freshwater lake in the world, in the world, the lowest freshwater lake. It is the second lowest lake in the world after what? The Dead Sea. They're both in the same place. This is the lowest elevation one in the world, which may explain some of the uh, storms and, and things that begin to arise. So in 435, Jesus is teaching this boat. It's a whole bunch of people on the shore, which right around, and we'll see a map of it a little later, right around the Sea of Galilee is where much of the ministry of Jesus happens, right around these shores, where it is his encounter with uh, Mary Magdalene, or is him calling his disciples, or him um, treating Capernaum as his ministry base. All this happened around this little sea. But there's a small phrase that Jesus says in this passage that is way more loaded than it, at first it appears. So in Mark 4, 35, after he's taught this parable of the seed and the sower, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. 
Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already feeling. But when he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? A little non-consequential phrase like, let us go to the other side. This Sea of Galilee was one that was, had many implications for what the other may be. We are also always walking through life with an other. In this context, Jesus saying this to the Gentile, saying this to the Jewish disciples meant to go to the, Jew, the Gentiles. But they hated each other. They hated each other. (laughs) As holy as one could be and as hateful as they can be, that hate still travels on to this day. Wow. This is amazing, knowing that Jesus was called first to the Jews and to the Gentiles who hated him. This gives little whispers and recognitions of our ministry of reconciliation. God is always attempting to bring us to himself and bring us together. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story that we walk through. But the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. We've seen little signs of that with the Jews going far around Samaria. We've been talking about that as we go through Luke. Um, The Jews traveling to the other side of the Jordan to avoid any kind of city that would somewhat be Gentile. They hated each other and could not see their other as a brother which a major part of Jesus' ministry was in the country, reconciling the people in the country to those in the city, reconciling the Gentiles to those who were Jewish as well. Some of their traditions were just outright disrespectful of thinking one as being filthy, that you couldn't know them at all. Even the controversy of Peter in the New Testament of, um, of not eating with Gentiles. That's how deep the hate ran. As someone who walked with Jesus and saw how Jesus interacted with those who were the other could not see how important it was for himself to be a part of the other. Society begins to change and transform when we see there is no other. All the other is is someone with a different perspective of yours on the other side of yourself. We can think the best about our um, beliefs or understandings or even our motives and the worst about someone else's. Why? Because they're other. You ever had a moment where someone did something that you would normally do, but because they're them, you take it as a hostile call to war. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're not going to pick up my call. Okay, all right, I got you. I see how this is going to go. The other, and we love in our society to show who the other is. The other is a Trump supporter. The other is a person who believes this way. The other is someone who lives in East Belmont Cragen, because I live in West Belmont Cragen. 
It's like you live in Chicago. <laughs> I'm sorry, I live in Horner Park. It is a, it is a micro part of North Center. <laughs> what are you talking about? Just aware of the otherness. And me really starting to understand otherness, living in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and going to a little small town, little small town that I perceive as racist as Jinx, Oklahoma. A lot of money, wealthy. I lived in a projects on a wealthy side of town, and it was a very, um, I was very much othered. Bust in a way, living in a place where we're kind of hidden away, but a lot of folks are allowed to play on the basketball teams and the football teams, but kind of hidden in a derelict part of the city. We treat otherness as if it is something we need, the Gold Coast living right next to areas that are bad in our perception. But this is exactly where Jesus lived in his common society. The refined place was Jerusalem, where everybody wanted to be, where it was popping. But we treat otherness as something serious. Our preference becomes prejudice when we don't see the radical love God has for all of his children. Prejudice starts as preference. You know, I would prefer not to go there. You know, I would prefer not to do that. And think about over years and generations of people preferring a certain thing, then it becomes a policy. And it becomes something that is not the way God has called us to be. He loves all of his children so much passionately, but all we know sometimes, it seems, is how to divide. So here we are. This is the Sea of Galilee, a picture from space. On the right-hand side is um, where Jesus had the encounter with the man of the Gadarenes. Up at the top is uh, Bethsaida, where the Peter... Um, Andrew, and I believe it was Peter, Andrew, and John, the village that they were called by Jesus at. And on the left is uh, Capernaum, the ministry base where Jesus moved and where this area, this story is taking place where he's teaching inside of a boat. This little bitty lake that's like 33 miles around, and it's the center of this gospel that we hold so dear. But then a storm arises in the middle of it. In Psalm 107, it says, Those who go down to the sea in ship to do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and they are at their wit's end. And then they cry out to their Lord in trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still, and then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. I love this in Scripture, when it's a little glimpse of what Jesus is coming to do. They're crying out to him in, his, in their despair, but they're not saying, God, stop this storm. They're saying, Jesus, look, I told you we weren't supposed to go to these filthy Gentiles. And look at this storm is here to punish us in the midst of it. 
All I tried to do was reach out to someone that was the other and look what is happening. See, I knew we weren't supposed to do that at all. Let us go back to our side, the west side of the lake, where everything is safe and nice. And we know Jesus said, peace be still, and he calls the storm to be calmed. That we have to lean on Jesus even when things are stormy and we believe it's because of our environment. Jesus is bold. He is asleep in the stern. The stern is where the pilot is supposed to be on watch, steering the boat. But he's asleep. And not only is the implications of this here in Psalm, but also Jonah. Where was he during the storm? But asleep in the boat. Asleep on the watch. What's going on, man? Taking this trip to the other side, this perilous journey that Jesus only mentioned is let's go to the other. They all knew exactly what he was saying. There was only one side that they could go to the other side of. And their otherness made this trepidation of them going. They didn't remember that storms happen all the time in the Sea of Galilee. But this one in particular was because they thought to challenge societal norms. That as we are anchored in Jesus, we find that the hungry will always get fed. Says in another translation, did he bring us here to drown? As if safe in their prejudice was a place to be. But he brought us here in this sea to drown. Why couldn't he leave us safe in our racism? That we are experiencing a shaking in this country that it seemed to subside it in some ways. But it's God beginning to reform our heart and reshape our heart despite the things that rage in this country. And there it is again. But he was in a storm, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, we're risking it all for the other, but what about us? After all, isn't our safety important to you? Which is a major reason division stays in place. Because we feel like reaching out to the other will, risk, will be too risky. It's too risky for us to travel far, to inconvenience ourselves on someone else's behalf who may not even ever say thank you. That's okay. I'm going to stay where I am and pass the same prejudice on to the next generation. You know, let them handle it. I refuse to give my children this world in a not more loving state. But what it takes for us is our ability to confront our own hearts and confront our own preferences. That is just a preference now. Three generations down, it becomes a prejudice. I would prefer, you know, this to happen this way or that way, that we are beginning to shape that. But I guarantee you, the safest place you can be, bless you, is in the boat 
confronting division with Jesus. That there's something that happens when we confront the things of this world. Anybody know what this is? A bus? So I've been going to um, over to the park, and I'm going to keep inviting you, if you would like to go, to uh, make sandwiches. I just I got a little sandwich maker here. I make sandwiches, and I take them over to folks in the park. And so in particular, this week, I um, went there, and this lady just, like, starts prophesying to me, which is what people do sometimes. And I don't even know if she knows what prophecy is, but she's like, God loves you so much. You care. He's going to do so much through your life. And it was like a holy moment. But it was then God started to remind me of a vision or a dream that I had. And a dream that I had was I was on a stinky bus. Anybody ever been on a stinky bus? You know what I'm saying? Everybody smelled like alcohol and smoke and, you, you know, the lighting doesn't work. It's like a bad movie, you know. You're like, ah, let me off this bus, please, Lord. How far is my stop? Come on. <laughs> but I love you, Jesus, but let me off this boat. Let me, let me off this bus. And we're traveling on this bus, and I'm like, let me off. So the bus stops, and I get off, right? And I get off this bus, and I get a nice, clean bus, well-lit, everybody dressed nice, real middle-class bus. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is sick. This is much better, all right? I'm not nervous anymore. I know what to expect. But then I look out the window and I see the bus that I got off was the express bus. And you know how the express buses go, right? They don't stop as as many stops as as the clean bus did. I'm in this clean bus that's stopping at every stop. Meanwhile, the stinky bus is gone. It's in a distance. What I took that to mean is where we want to go as a body We got to go on a stinky bus. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're not going on a clean bus. I'm taking things over there to feed them once a week, one meal a week. But you best believe eventually it's going to be two meals a week. Then it's going to be three meals a week, then four meals a week. Then it's every day of the week. That's where we're going. I had to have a good reminder of that. And so I told this lady this dream, you know, the stinky bus dream. She's like, ooh, I got goosebumps. After she's telling me how much God loves me, and I'm like, look, it's just me right now, but there are going to be other people, okay? Eventually, it's going to happen that way. We are very good at making a formula and figuring out how to make things happen. Okay, we need to grow this place. Um, We would like to have more people here with us. It makes no sense. The stinky bus makes no sense to our society. But what Jesus is saying through this story, the other is the way. It is not our own way that we want to do and be better and nicer, more refined, more perfect, better relationships. You know what I'm saying? finagle things so that we can be where we want to be. No, we have to take the bus that is scary, that is stormy, that makes no sense that we would be on, on the way to the other. There is no other way for us. 
Society can only see the things as they are, but we have to see things as they are meant to be. And Jesus, of course, was numbered with those who would be considered the other, not the sexy part of society necessarily, and go to the other. And in his confrontation, Jesus broke the holds of Satan and in the midst of society. So we know at the end of this story, Jesus, they're in the storm, is going crazy. He gets off the boat on the other side. And who is he confronted by? A demonic man. Come on, these disciples were upset. <laughs> at the very least, they were afraid. After they had just gone through a storm, now they encounter the most demonic man, apparently, in Scripture, who is rips chains, rips all his clothes off, tears his skin, and yells all day long on the outskirts of this town. And we know Jesus comes and delivers him from all of his demons. He goes to the others on the east side of the lake in Decapolis, where the Gentiles are supposed to be. They're dirty, they're filthy, and here is a man that is the dirty and the filthiest of them all. That Jesus sees delivered. His declaration of peace be still to the storm still had a great promise for the man of the Gadarenes. That we would understand that the peace that comes in our heart is from the confrontation of what we consider to be the other. It's not running away from it. The safest place is going towards the storm, is going towards the conflict, is going towards where society tells you to run away from. Why? Because that's where all the treasure is. Don't go that way. There's nothing there for you because then we start to shine bright like people, like little Christ, which is what Christian means, little lights that are shining. That we're not those who are avoiding confrontation and running the other way. But we are walking peacefully with Jesus in the midst of this storm, not believing that there is any other for us. That whoever that other may be, an aunt, an uncle, maybe it was an aunt that stole money from your dead sister. Maybe it is an uncle who beat the heck out of you when you were a kid because you didn't have a father necessarily at that time. Maybe it is all these people who have been othered in your life that we need to be at peace with and say, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Father, forgive them. Can we be those peaceful people that we would be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ I make the most requests in the middle of a storm and in the middle of confrontation. But I would rather be in a storm of my choosing <laughs> than one that is just a rose 
around me. That person that you want to get the heck away from, go towards them. Sorry, we don't have a choice. Love your enemies. <laughs> and I promise you, you will understand the peace, compassion, and love of God in a greater measure than you ever have before. And there will be no such thing as other in your life or in your vocabulary. You guys want to stand up? There are no others. There are only brothers and sisters. No others. So I want to... Um, If there's somebody that has been othered in your life, maybe through actions of their own or through actions of yours, I want you to just bring them to the front of your heart. And I just want to pray into that, um, that there would be reconciliation that happens there. Uh, because that's necessary before we go out and do these awesome things in the world or whatever, that we have to take care of the otherness that's in us. And that this is a, a, a part of the gospel's forgiveness and, and letting those things go. I wasn't even planning to do anything like this, but, you know, I just feels like, feels like this is where we're going. So I just want you to, to bring them to the front of your heart. Um, and I'm not going to ask you to forgive them at this point. I'm just going to ask you to bring them to the front of your heart. And I'll pray that God would reveal to you your next steps in this that many of us are carrying these things through life um, and seeing ourselves apart from God because we see ourselves apart from people. So God, I just pray that whatever person, whatever situation is at the front of everyone's hearts, that you would give them the strength to confront it. Head on into it. That we sometimes run from conflict, and we can be afraid, God. The disciples were afraid, and you were physically in the boat with him. You were physically there, and they were afraid in the storm. How much more so can we fear, and all we have is your presence? But we know that is all that we need, God. Let us, in the midst of this storm, still be bold and our confrontation of everything that would seek to divide us and separate us from your love. And not just your love for us. That scripture is often read as very personal. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Neither height, nor death, nor width, nor things in the, past, things in the present, or things to come. But that means there should be nothing that can separate us from the love of God for others. That even in our intensity to make things very personal, we have forgotten that God loves everyone as well, God. That we would bring that forgiveness to the front of our hearts and let the joy and the strength of you have made us to be, be actively present. Father, I love everyone here and I know you love them even much more so. Give them the strength, the wisdom and a way to confront the otherness in their heart, Father. That we would release that to you 
because you are the only one who is strong enough to carry it for us. And I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.